They are a department store staple, a mannequin. Dress them up and they're modeling the latest fashions, trying to show shoppers how good an outfit can look. But in the world of medicine, mannequins take on a whole new meaning. We have our, our more sophisticated and high-tech mannequins who bleed, sweat, their eyes blink, they dilate and constrict with light when you shine a pen light in their eyes, um, which allows us to simulate different things that you may not want to practice in real life, such as a head injury. That's Christopher Larkner, the Education and Operations Manager at Jump Simulation in Peoria, Illinois. And I'm Shelley Dankoff, your host of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. On today's episode of Health Accelerated, if you've shopped in a department store of any kind, you've probably seen a mannequin. That's M-A-N-N-E-Q-U-I-N. But our conversation is going to be about a M-A-N-I-K-I-N-S, mannequins used for training purposes. A mannequin is a full-body patient simulator that mimics human anatomy and physiology and safely allows for the teaching of clinical skills. They're a lot different than what you'd find in a department store. In fact, they can sweat, bleed, and react in a variety of ways to simulate real-life clinical scenarios. Joining me is Christopher Larkner, the Education and Operations Manager at Jump Simulation, part of OSF Healthcare. Thanks for being with us. First of all, explain what it is you do as the Education and Operation Manager. What does that mean? Well, thank you, Shelley, for having me on uh, the show today. So as a manager, a lot of my day-to-day is what a manager would typically do. So I'm managing the resources, the staff, our, all of our mission partners inside the building to help deliver high-quality education to the ones that we serve. And that is everybody at OSF, as well as the University College of Medicine in Peoria, or UECOM for short. Uh, we are serving not only the first-year medical students, but all the way through their fourth year, and then the 13 residencies that they are offering throughout their program. And that includes, I think, to date, about 667 medical residents that have graduated since the opening of JUMP, as well as thousands and thousands of mission partners that have come through our building to gather more information and education about what they are doing in the ministry. Let's talk a little bit about that education and the simulation. Why is simulation so important for that training. You know, old school, medical school, you went in, you learn, here comes the patient, let's meet that. We've really moved to this simulation-based training. Why is that so important? So one of the old methodologies or ideologies that we used to have, and this is even predating me, was see one, do one, teach one. And what we were actually finding is that is not really the best way for everybody to learn or really experience what they need to know when you're doing, let's say, a medical procedure or some type of intervention for the very first time. So what we are doing with the simulation center is is a nice controlled space where learners can come in and if they make a mistake, there's no impact whatsoever to an actual patient. What our goal, at least ultimately, is you deliver this modality of education through the high-fidelity simulator or task trainers that we have that mimic different body parts as well to practice over and over and over again. So that way, if you make a mistake, there's no impact. But when you do need to do it and you need to get it right, it translates over to the clinical environment. So, for instance, a surgery. If I'm going to go have an appendix removed, the Doctors, any clinician can practice an appendectomy. Absolutely. In fact, we actually actually have uh, virtual reality trainers inside our building that actually mimic real cases with some curveballs that are thrown in there, some some things that you may not normally encounter, but you need to be prepared in order to, for that to 
to take place. Yeah, and I think that's some of the interesting part. But there's even little things or things that people might not think of, like crucial conversations, tough conversations. Sometimes those are not taught in a book. You can't open a book and go, oh, I need to have a conversation with someone about their loved one dying or organ donation. So some of those things take place as well, don't Absolutely. they? So not only are we are we teaching our clinicians and our providers that level of empathy or that humanitarian aspect within ourselves that we actually do have to practice so that way when we do have to have that conversation, we can deliver the message clearly so there's no question in the end. And that we are also showing how well we deeply care for not only the patient but also the patient's family because we are one whole. So the the importance of about the crucial conversations is that we can deliver this message clearly to not only the patients but also the patient's family member because it is a holistic treatment care plan that we need to have. But then we're also going to have those conversations from mission partner to leader, leader to mission partner, mission partner to mission partner, because sometimes we do have to have difficult conversations that are difficult for everybody to have, whether it's you have to have a positive conversation with somebody to say, hey, I think you're struggling here. How can we help you get over this barrier? Yeah, whatever the challenge may be. And for people listening in, mission partners are how we refer to employees at OSF Healthcare, just for clarity on that. So the medical mannequins, and so people see, they always think there's a typo, M-A-N-I-K-I-N-S. No, that is the way medical mannequins are spelled. So at at the basic point, how are they different and what do they do? Oh, so we have an entire family of, of mannequins or what we call high fidelity simulators. And they can be static, meaning they don't really have a whole lot of functionality. You might be able to intubate them or do basic airway maneuvers on them. And then we have our, our more sophisticated and high tech mannequins who bleed, sweat, their eyes blink, they dilate and constrict with light when you shine a pen light in their eyes, um, which allows us to simulate different things that you may not want to practice in real life, such as a head injury. Again, we can teach to normal when we have a standardized participant in a bed, shine a light in their eyes, their their pupils contract. Versus, well, now they have a head injury. Well, I'm not going to give my standardized participant a head injury just for education, right? So those high-fidelity mannequins can simulate those different aspects inside a a well-defined case for the learning objectives that we're looking to uh, teach on. And also, for clarity, standardized participants are people. Yes. <laughs> They're humans like you and I. They are. They're um, actors. Think of them as an actor, but they are specifically trained in a role and have to carry out that role, correct? And, and they can be any role that we need them to be. Sometimes they're a provider, sometimes they're a nurse, sometimes they're a PCT, sometimes they're a family member, and very often they are a, a patient. Let's get back to the mannequins now. So I'm hearing you say they can sweat, they can bleed. Can you change what they do on the fly? Is that one of those where there's like that backdoor area where you go, oh, well, they seem to have this handle. Let's throw this little curveball in there and something else happens. So we don't always do a, a curveball per se. So when we are doing a sim, it's very defined. So we are operating within the parameters of what that case is. So if it's supposed to be, let's, let's say, a difficult conversation, for some reason we're using a mannequin that day, one of the things we're not going to do is if, if they're supposed to just have a conversation, we're not going to suddenly make that patient code. So we don't necessarily do the curve ball, but we do design it if with a if-then-then-this scenario. So if a learner doesn't do X, Y, Z, then it might result in the mannequin coding or going to cardiac okay. arrest. So they do do a lot of different features such as that. 
Okay. So, you know, it must be very interesting from your perspective, the first time you saw them and all the possibilities. I have to believe there's a learning curve for even the people who are creating the simulations, wasn't there? There was. In fact, one of the big movements that we had actually like towards the beginning of COVID was we we transitioned to what we call two, Jump 2.0. And what we were actually noticing was we're asking a lot of our educators to come up with this simulation education based around what our stuff is capable of even doing. So what we actually did with Jump 2.0 is we actually took that aspect, now I don't want to say took it away from them, but we told them, trust us that we can help design these cases with the equipment that we have because we and my staff and my mission partners know this equipment better than anybody across the ministry. Let us decide what is going to be the best piece of equipment for you and what they're capable of doing to help form your scenario, help deliver your education. You have come up with training modules, if you will, that while they are piloted by your staff and your mission partners, they have to be carried out across the OSF healthcare ministry. Well, that's 15 hospitals that range everywhere from Escanaba, Michigan, all the way down to Alton, Illinois, and from both borders of the state of Illinois, either into Indiana or Iowa. So that's a lot of ground to cover. You can't always bring everybody to Peoria to do hands-on training. So you can develop something here and go out to them, can't you? Absolutely. So that is our Insight 2 program, which is Latin for in your area, in your environment. We go to Escanaba, Michigan. And so far in the last year, so FY22, we actually went up to Escanaba three times. And when we go up there, we actually, we bring as much as we can because it is a little bit of a trip, but it's a fun trip. If Don't get me wrong. If you ever get a chance to go up there, I highly recommend it. So the Insight 2 program is any scenario that we have within our curriculum, we can deliver pretty much anywhere else. We have our AV system, which is portable, so we can take that along with us if we need to record or if we need to develop more education that say, let's do this sim, but not everybody can make it. We can record it and then hand that over to the educators and they can do further education once we leave. Um, But yeah, getting out to all the other places in the ministry, absolutely. We're taking our SPs. We're taking our high-fidelity mannequins. Some drawbacks, though, is we can't take our crash cards, for example. So we do rely, and this is a little bit extra high-fidelity to the environment, is you get to use all of your own equipment. So it's a little bit more costly. However, it does deliver a a better experience for your, your providers because they're using the equipment that they may actually be using in the real life. Yeah, which has to be, which is excellent training. It's truly the hands-on training. Tell Mm -hmm. me about, I understand there was a developing of a process to create a standardized approach to birthing, the birthing experience across Mm -hmm. the OSF healthcare ministry, because it's important no matter where you access us for care, you should expect that you're going to have the same experience. Mm -hmm. So talk about how we piloted that and did that simulation and how that was developed using the mannequins and then getting it out across the ministry. Yeah. So the program that you're referring to was our maternal hemorrhage and hypertension insight two program. So again, this is one of those that went out to the entire ministry. And so we developed it within jump along with many other people from the ministry education council and a few other part, uh, participants and dyads. And a lot of what it was, was about helping our mission partners from either the ED, LND, Family Birthing Center, or anywhere else where they can potentially deliver a baby, reinforce the education about maternal hemorrhage. What are the signs? What are, what are we actually supposed to be looking for? How do we treat it? And that standardized approach. 
The other aspect was maternal hypertension. Now, these are two topics that were definitely identified not only by IDPH and is a regulatory requirement, but also high areas where not just our ministry, but hospitals across the entire world and nation are seeing those effects in which we're not we're not meeting those, those markers. So we have the first, second, third trimester, but then there's also the fourth trimester, which really goes into both areas for maternal hypertension and hemorrhage, where moms can be hypertensive, so their, their blood pressure is high, whether if they have babies still in utero or if they are postpartum. So these are, again, things that just because the baby's not in there anymore or is, we can still have that problem, and it's still a maternal scenario. It's not just, you know, somebody who came into the ED or the LND and now their blood pressure is high. No, there's actually a, a bigger picture before that. Okay. So walk through, because this even took some modification on the mannequins, right? Because the mannequins come in, they're expected to do certain things. And and for people who aren't aware, no, we have mannequins that give birth. Yes. And so and that's, I've seen those happen. You're just going, whoa. So it is very realistic. So how did you have them create this scenario and how did it move forward? Yeah, so this is one of those areas where we have to get creative for one. And we also have to kind of work the the hardware a little bit and bypass a few things to, to really deliver the quantity of volume loss that we need to really say this is what hemorrhage really looks like because it's a lot and it's a lot very fast. And the mannequin that we have delivers a little bit really slow. And so we actually had to... Uh, take a five-gallon bucket with a little bit of a bigger pump and modify the pump just a little bit so that way we can deliver more volume quicker to give that realistic experience of mom's losing blood, mom's losing volume fast. What do we need to do? Because it really it, it can really be a matter of five minutes from door to decision of do I go to the OR, do we do this, et cetera, et cetera. And it's truly life or death. Yes, absolutely. So the... Mission partners who are training, nurses, techs, whatever, whoever's involved in that process, the first time you threw that at them with, you know, the five-gallon bucket gushing, I have to imagine that really got their attention and the heart rates went up. Tell me about that. A little bit. And the first time that we did it was actually in Escadawa, Michigan, and they loved it. And what's really unique about those in situs, for example, is especially when we go to Escanaba because we're there back-to-back days. I mean, we, we're not leaving. We just go to the hotel and we come back the following morning. And they actually shared a story with us that not only did they have one patient that came in that met criteria for maternal hemorrhage, but they had two patients that night approximately a couple hours after we left. So as you can imagine, we delivered and reinforced this piece of education and then they had it back-to-back scenarios with back-to-back patients. So the impact that we are we are giving our mission partners is priceless. So when they see these scenarios, I mean, they probably a few of them have probably seen this in real life, one or two, and so they have a little bit of a a benchmark for for what it really looks like. But a lot of them come out with their eyes open that says, "Wow, this was this was truly." immersive. This was truly realistic. And it really did get me thinking, we got to work faster or we need to do this better. And so that really is the truest impact of what we are doing. Yeah. I imagine there's some of those newer nurses too, because there's now we're doing a really nice job cross-training with our College of Nursing. And so they're coming through and getting exposed to it. But there's a difference when you're in with a team and you're doing it. And I think the other thing to make clear to people, it's also learning in the communication. So you see what's going on, but talking through it, who's doing what, who's in charge, 
That's another key component to this, isn't it? Yeah, it's called Team Steps. Um, and so the best part about Team Steps is that that's a whole nother sim that we do too. So um, it's a lot of multifocal simulations that, you know, when you start putting all these things into a bigger picture, then yes, those those are the things that you end up starting to focus on. So like I know for myself, example, uh, as a critical care paramedic, when I'm in the field, I know what I'm thinking, but I don't necessarily know what everybody else is thinking. So I'm relying on my team to not only gather information to how to treat this patient, but maybe I'm missing something. Maybe somebody else is seeing something that I don't. And I think that's the same situation for all the providers, all the nurses, and all the patient member, team members that are across uh, the street over at like SFMC, for example. And I say that just because of geographical location. So yeah, there's that communication piece that I need to know who's doing what. I need to know when it's happening. And we need to be constant close that loop of so that way we don't double dose on a medication that might actually be worse for the patient if we did something like that, for example. Or you know, if I ask somebody go out into the hall, can somebody get me a Kleenex? Nine people might go out to do it. And now I'm just left in the room by myself. So it's, it's all about that clear message, that clear communication from the team members and yourself to make sure that we're, we're treating as a whole again, so that way we don't miss anything. From your perspective, do you find this fascinating to watch? Okay, because you sit there and you and your team, you design this and you go, okay, we expect it's going to happen this way. And then it may or may not happen that way. So what is that like for you from that 9,000-foot view watching these unfold? Sometimes it's a little bit of a heart attack um, <laughs> because we do miss stuff too. We're exactly how you said it. Like it's one of those, yeah, we work with a team, we design these sims, and then it doesn't go that way. And it may not be because the learners didn't get it or it may not be because they missed something. Maybe it's the way we wrote it. Maybe we had this grand idea that this is how it's going to be. But then all of a sudden, somebody asks for a lab value. Oh, yeah, that one was probably important. We should probably add that for the next one. So we are constantly making modifications, sometimes day of, sometimes a month later. Um, but it's very important to keep up with those because also as medicine, we we preach on evidence-based practices I mean, what we do today might not be the same thing tomorrow. I mean, it's a little bit of a drastic analogy, but it is possible. I mean, COVID taught us a lot of things. One day we were say. doing this, another day we were doing that. I mean, sometimes they changed in the middle of a shift where, oh, you're going to wear this mask and goggles, but not this mask and no goggles, things like that. So they do change quite frequently. Yeah, I imagine there were a lot of things learned out of COVID that the simulation world was pretty much made for. Yeah, I have to see that going forward. So if you look into that crystal ball, I know requests are always coming in and everybody says, gee, we should do this. Well, first of all, let's touch really quickly back on the birthing experience. Mm -hmm. Now that it's gone out across the ministry and you have the consistency, has it done as you expected it to do? And now you feel that there's greater confidence with everybody. I would imagine in the rural communities, and we serve a lot of rural communities yeah. where you can't always get to someplace super quick. There has to be a level of confidence that has come about because of this initiative. Absolutely. So I, I can't give you figurative data, the qualitative data uh, as to what level of impact we are actually giving us on the patient side. But what I can give you is uh, the learner feedback data that we do collect after a simulation. And that is actually one of the questions of how confident were you 
before this case and how confident you are now after this case. And then Melissa Picarney, who is a uh, wonderful nurse that works with us over at Jump, and one of her role parts is that she actually takes all this data and then does a 360 interview with the facilitators and the, the project owners. And that is actually one of the questions that we talk about because that's actually one of our measurements of was this program successful, and that one is. Yeah, I imagine that gets gold stars just, again, for the confidence level. Yes. So as we look ahead, what might be on the horizon that you might be working on to train that uses the mannequins or uses standardized participants, uses the, you know, the VF, any of that stuff? What are we looking at? Ooh, a little bit of a loaded question. Um, (laughs) That you can talk about. (laughs) Well, not just uh, like I can can or cannot talk about it. uh, um, So one of the things about jump simulation is we aren't the ones necessarily creating the education. So we are more or less the modality to deliver or help reinforce that education. So um, I think, you know, probably some stuff that might be coming up down the line will probably be something related to sepsis because that's always a big one, especially for quality and safety. So just to guess that may be one, plus we're not done with everything with that we're doing with maternal hemorrhage and hypertension. That one will be repeating for as long as I can the foreseeable future, as far as I'm aware. Because new people come on all the time, and so you have to bring them to train. Do you have a favorite one that you've done? Ooh. My my heart's always going to be with emergency medicine, so it's just, it's always that, honestly, and any one of the many sims that I've ran in the 10 years that I've been over there, it's always the sim that you can actually see the learner, and then they have this, what we call the aha moment, Mm -hmm. where it just it's like a snap of a finger. It, it clicks and they're like, yeah, it's this. We need to do this because all of a sudden they they just figured it out. And then the other part about it is, you know, if I had that conversation with somebody and they're telling me, it's like, hey, I just had this in the other day. And then guess what I just had yesterday on my shift? That's it truly is amazing because then, you know, you ask them, well, how did it go? And the the we can't control necessarily all the outcomes for an experience, but it's the the level of confidence as we talked about how confident were they going in and if they feel even more confident now that's that's a win for us it still must give you chills when those moments happen a little somebody bit. says hey that just happened there's something about fate sometimes sometimes chris larkner thank you so much for being with us and talking about mannequins m-a-n-i-k-i-n-s we're not dressing these up other than in like a hospital gown but we appreciate understanding how they work Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Health Accelerated, brought to you by OSF Healthcare. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can also find links to any of our episodes on the OSF Newsroom at newsroom.osfhealthcare.org.